I am brought to you today by Casper Mattress. Well, I I wasn't brought here today by Casper Mattress. I came in my car, and then I walked up the stairs, and, you know, I had a cup of coffee. I said hello to a few people, and now I'm here. I, I sound like Gilbert Gottfried for some reason, but the Casper Mattress, very good. My wife and I had a good night's sleep with it. My big dog, Izzy, loves it. He's very critical. Try it. If you're interested in getting a great Casper mattress at a really great price, and you can even get $50 off towards any purchase of a mattress by visiting www.casper.com slash Steinberg and use the promo code Steinberg to get that. Terms and conditions may apply. Order one now. I know, but I've been around a long time. Long enough to know. I'm talking to Kevin Nealon. Well, I'm not actually talking to Kevin Nealon. I will be talking to Kevin Nealon, who says he doesn't need any introduction. So I shouldn't be listening right now. No, you could be listening. Are you listening? Mind. Yeah, because that was the introduction. And now we're talking. Yes. <laughs> we're talking about caricatures. Yes, you have some caricatures hanging on your wall that I'm yeah. very impressed with because I love drawing caricatures myself. I always like, I will auction off bad caricatures at, you know, fundraisers. <laughs> I'll do a bad caricature of you. But if you do a bad caricature, so you you're, you draw. So yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I like to draw. Now, did you always draw like that? Uh, yeah, I did, ever since I was a kid. And the first time I decided to draw, I'll never forget this day. I lived in Europe at the time, and I was on a, a military base. We live in a German neighborhood, but we would go on to the military base a lot because I went to school on a military base. And I would go into the PX, and one of the servicemen left a napkin you know, a private, and he had a drawn like a private on there with that cap on and a big nose and a lip, like sad sack, uh-huh. you know, and I kept that napkin. I kept draw, trying to draw that napkin and uh, the picture on there. And then the other thing was in school, how you had to draw the maps, you know, you had to yes. like look at the map and then draw the coastline. And I think those are my two biggest art lessons in my life. <laughs> yes. So, so you're an artist, really. You could draw Well, things. I call myself a doodler. Yeah, but if you, like, I can't draw at all. So as a result, I talk too much. I, <laughs> I talk about everything until yeah. something funny comes out or whatever. But I, if, if you ask me to draw any face, I can't draw it at all. I, but that's, I think that's more common than not. You know? yeah. A lot of people can't draw. I, um, I, I love it. I love to like look at people and think what they would be like if I drew a caricature of them. You know, I see their character, their traits. You know. So, what do you mean you see their traits? Like, well, whenever I go to a comedy club, I take pictures afterwards. Uh-huh. You know, just to be with the people, and uh-huh. and I save those pictures because I want to one day sit down and just have that to draw each person okay. and get really good at it. Wow! And it's like anything else, guitar or whatever. If you do it enough, you're really good at it. But I haven't done it for a while. I can't really capture the the thing as well. But if I'm doing a lot of them, I will get really good at it. That's so incredible. So it's, so you could recognize your own style, right? I could, yeah. yeah. And I do have it my own style. But in comedy, most people who are, I have a feeling are do stand-up are so verbal that it's contrary to having a visual sense, which you have both of, which is... Well, I don't really have the verbal thing. I, I really don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I will tell you, I had to once go to City Hall and help... Um, a, a group of celebrities try to get a bigger, you know, area for the elephant, Billy the Elephant, mm-hmm. at the LA Zoo. Uh-huh. And you have a minute to talk at the podium. I was following Cher, um, Lily Tomlin, mm-hmm. a couple of other very passionate people uh-huh. about this elephant. And you know, I like to help when I can. And I could not fill a minute with talking about how the elephant needs a bigger enclosure. 
because they'd already said everything and that minute went by like an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember what you eventually I said? I don't remember, and I, I don't even know why I'm telling you this, because I'm trying to bury it, because every time I go on Howard Stern, he plays it, and people laugh at me. You know? <laughs> the elephant is big. Yeah. It's big and great. I said, I am not anti-zoo. I'm anti-inadequate zoo. You know, that kind of stuff. And I just really just bombed out. <laughs> and, I, and I really admire people that, like, talk show hosts like on a, on a, a podcast like yours or yeah. before sometimes you get there they talk for like a half hour alone in the room about things that you know that concern them and I would be good for maybe five minutes you know <laughs> yes, and then yeah. I said any callers do we have any callers <laughs> <laughs> hoping that someone will yeah, call yeah. yeah well you know uh, you might not remember where we met but it was in Tahoe and I was interviewing Robin Williams mm-hmm. I remember that and um at that point, I was just starting to interview Robin, who was adorable and amazing person totally. to sit next to. I was to. just thinking of him on the way over here because I remember I was remembering that. You remember that, that. I yeah. there's nobody like him. There no, never will be anybody like no, him. He, he was remarkable. And, yeah. and that, that night, all he, was just, he just took off. So I said, hi, how are you? And he just took off and was brilliant. And then at the end, we took our bows and walked off. And Kevin, you came backstage, and I didn't know you at all. He said, David, you talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> I said that? Yes. <laughs> I hadn't said a word. Yeah, Literally. That's right. It, yeah. it was the least I ever said I when I was with Robin Williams. You, he's like a wind-up toy. Oh, you yeah. Know, he, he just he let was him go. incredible. And uh, he could do anything, and he was just so smart. There was just nobody. Uh, I mean, you know, there's stand-up comedy, yeah. and then there's Robin. But, yeah. I remember the first time I saw him was in Newport Beach at a comedy club. I, it, I was maybe a year into stand-up open mic nights, and I went and saw him, and I just I was speechless. Yeah, yes. I thought, why, 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 I, why would I even do this? You know, it was like that um, Amadeus movie with a guy who thought, <laughs> yes. you know, Salieri I hated that he was mediocre. <laughs> yes. You know, and he wasn't Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I thought when I saw Robin. I thought, yeah. but then I thought, well, he can't be everywhere at once. So I'll, at least I'll get some work in some places. <laughs> yeah. But I'll never be the best. I'll never be the best. <laughs> no, because he could do everything. He he had every he had the range to do. He could do impressions. He never stopped reading. We were on the road with him, Robin, my wife, and I. He wanted to know everything. I mean, he kept on picking my brain, not that there's that much to pick from. But if you knew something, he wanted to know it. And very honestly. I I remember reading a a few blogs that he wrote about something, maybe Iraq or Mm -hmm. or something like that. It was very... um, very insightful yeah articulate and, yeah. Our, he would talk about iraq i get him to talk about it on stage and he was very touched by people who were volunteering to serve yeah. and, and all, all and i know he went over there a few times yeah but the thing about him was i you know i used to bartend at the improv so i would see him a lot coming in and his act is um it seems improvisational mm-hmm. and spontaneous mm-hmm. but i know he's got some kind of a chain that he goes to you know, he does he similar does. things yeah. each time yeah i was wondering if that was what it was like when you were with him interview him because you had probably a lot of the same questions each night right yeah the goal was to not ask the same questions right and then after we were doing it on the road for about a week he said you know what i don't like what's going on i talk 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 and you don't i said well the audience is really here to see you which they were he said doesn't matter i'm going to lead you into things don't duck out of it to get back to me (laughs) (laughs) so uh he started to ask me questions and led me into first date 
you know, obvious things. And, yeah. I, and material came out of it. And then he would just tell a story on top of it. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about him saying, come up on stage and make me feel more comfortable. Yeah. As comfortable as he appears on stage, I'm sure there was a lot of insecurity and, totally, and yeah. doubt, you know, and I, yeah. I had the same thing with Jan Hooks, you know, who was a great yes. sketch performer on Saturday Night yes. Live and, and my girlfriend and a friend for a long time. And she was, you know, totally stage fright, you know, the yes. night before on Friday yes. night. And I would have to hold her and reassure her all night. And then when she got on stage, it was like, was I being used? You know, she yes, I have yes. no fear at all. Just amazing. Yes. She was so funny. You know, I, I got to direct her over a year when she got into Designing Women. I, yeah. was, I was executive producing it, so directing her. Oh, wow. And she was the most fun person. Loved Just to laugh. Loved to laugh. It was so funny. And I used to stand in the bleachers and, you know, holler out things because as a director, I don't, I don't, we're rehearsing. It's just us yeah. and me and the women. I don't want to walk down, walk around right. and say something. So I'd always say, Jan. And every, every time I'd holler from the bleachers, she'd say, oh, what is it, Mr. Steinberg? What is it? You treat me like the principal. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. said, you're up there and I'm down here. I know I do something wrong. She, yeah. Every time. She and she would be it. seamless. And, and, Yet she seemed like she never rehearsed or put a lot of thought no, into it. I no. mean, sketch it. She yeah. just go out there and it was so natural, yeah. seemingly. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, some, some uh, comedians, it's hard to, but some comedic performers, their warmth shows through the comedy. Yeah. She was certainly one of those. Yeah. You could see this was a lovely, <laughs> adorable person. Yes. Outrageous as could be. Outrageous and... I remember going to her house and she had a, uh, a door that had a cat entrance in it. Occasionally, a possum would come in and start eating out of the cat dish in her kitchen. Oh, oh my God. And she considered it another pet. She called it Uncle Joe because he was moving kind of slow wow. you know, at the junction. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do remember in Designing Women, the, the hardest thing, they were spectacular women, all of them. It was one of my favorite things that I directed. Getting everyone, getting all these incredible women, some of them aged a little bit, but not much, but still attractive. Yeah. It seemed that no matter how many notes I gave them about this thing or that thing, wardrobe is all, it was all wardrobe yeah. talk yeah, yeah. for the last day. And what am I going to wear? What can I wear? Is this good? Is that, is that yeah, good? Yeah. The only one who wasn't in her wardrobe stuff was Jan, actually. Mm -hmm. She cared about how she looked, but... She never cared about, yeah, like, yeah. clothes. Yeah, things, no. Really, no, she know. wasn't into those kind of no, feminine no, things. No, yeah. I didn't go to her funeral because I was working at the time. But I was working in Atlanta about two months ago, and I rented a car and drove out to her grave. Oh, right. In right. Cedar Town. Uh-huh. And um, a small town. She spent a lot of time there. Her mother was buried in that grave. Uh -huh. And it was such a weird thing because I never had a girlfriend die, you know, yes. that was a, or yes. a good friend like yes. that. Yeah, you know? who does? Yeah. And, in, you know, and I sat next to the grave. The, it was still fresh. The grass was still coming up, you know, and there wasn't a gravestone yet. And just kind of talked to her yeah. about, I mean, the whole history we had together. Yes, that's so And wonderful. it's funny how you, I don't know if you've ever done that, but you, you know, you laugh, you cry, yeah. and you have closure, and then yeah. you walk away. Yeah, it's a, that's a wonderful thing to do, yeah. actually, to, to say things that you wanted to say all along that you never had a chance yeah. to say. Yeah. What, what did Jan die of? Did she, have a, she had cancer. She had cancer. Yeah. So did she know that she was... Um, she... Well, first of all, she moved out of New York City and moved up to the Woodstock area, upstate New York, mm -hmm. after 9-11. Mm -hmm. That freaked her out so much. She never got into cell phones, never had a laptop computer, mm -hmm. you know, didn't do any of that stuff. 
And then when she got sick, her brother got her a laptop and got her a cell phone. You know, he would come up there and visit her. And, and I would call her maybe once or twice a year. I hadn't seen her in a long time mm-hmm. since we broke up on Saturday Night Live, you know, 20 years ago. But I would talk to her once a year. I sent her, you know, a birthday card and a Christmas card. And, mm-hmm. and then I hadn't talked to her for a while. And I called her and I got the answering machine. And then she called me back. And she said in a really high-pitched voice because her neck was swollen from um, the thyroid. Mm-hmm. She goes, Kevers? She called me Kevers. I mm-hmm. called her Janners, mm-hmm. you know. And she sounded like that. She goes, Kevers, I can't talk, so I'm going to email you. My brother got me an email, you know, a laptop. Mm-hmm. And it just took me uh, aback because, you know, this was not the Jan I knew. And, no. But yet she was still upbeat about it and, you know, having her glass of wine at night. But she was so articulate and eloquent with the emails. You know, it was like, what a good writer she was, yeah. too, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I saved them all. Well, there's an energy, you know, there's a, a comic energy to people. When people are in their humor all the time, you mm-hmm. get to see a kind of energy that you don't from almost everyone is like that. Yeah. But comedians and comic actors and all that, it's different. Right. And Robin Williams was another version of that. I mm-hmm. mean, that energy that people saw him do on stage, he did all day long. Yeah. Exhausting, I'm sure. And you can never make everybody happy, even with that much talent. Yes. I remember seeing Michael Jordan, and I, I, was, I used to do this golf uh, tournament with him up in Lake Tahoe every year, and he was one of the golfers. You know, a lot of autograph hounds that want autographs, and he would do it at the end. He would sit down in a chair. He wouldn't sign during the tournament. He'd sit down in the chair, and the people would form a line, and he'd <laughs> sit there for an hour, two hours, whatever, just mm-hmm. signing autographs. And then I remember watching him get up to leave, and there was a lot of people that were disappointed. He walked away because he couldn't get everybody. You no, know, he had to go home. No. And I said uh, something like, what's it like being Michael Jordan? And he goes, you just can't please everybody. You can't please everybody. Yeah. 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 It's never enough. Never, never yeah. enough. never enough. So I do have a big family because I seem to remember when Robin and I were doing that show in Tahoe. Is it, uh, are you from Tahoe? Why, no, why, no. why were you there? Uh, oh, golf tournament. Probably. Yeah, it was that golf tournament. Right. Yeah. I'm not a good golfer. Right. In fact, I, in my act, I talk about... Once a year, I, I go up and do this tournament, and people think I'm good because it's on television. It's on NBC, so there's cameras everywhere, and there's a lot of professional athletes up there like Tony Romo and Aaron Rodgers, professional yeah. hockey players and baseball. You know, really, a lot of us athlete types is what I'm saying, David. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember being on the 18th hole, and I hit the ball about a 250 yards, and it curved out toward the beach where all the spectators were watching. And I yelled four as loud as I could. I said, four, because I knew I was on camera. And if I went to court, I yeah. could say, let's refer to the camera. You know? <laughs> and everybody covered up except for one lady. And wouldn't you know, my ball hit her right in the forehead oh, on the fly. God. Oh, God. And from 250 yards away, I heard the gallery in the distance kind of go, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> that, that mass groan. Yeah. yeah. And the ball bounced off her forehead. It rolled through the sand up onto the green about three feet from the pin. And I heard that same gallery go in the distance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran up to that woman. I really thought I heard her. And I, I said, are you, all, are you all right? Are you sure you're okay? She goes, yes, but you better put me on the Today Show. She thought I was Matt Lauer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I, I'm not... Okay, yeah, you could be on the Today Show. Right. What a waste to let you get ball hit your forehead thinking you're Matt Lauer. <laughs> no, it must have hit her hard. It must have hit her hard. <laughs> so is is it golf? Is that your your is that your favorite go to sport? Um, not really. Uh, you know, I don't really have a favorite go. I like to play golf. You know, with it's a great way to spend a, a whole day with friends because <laughs> yeah. it does take a lot of time. Yeah. I've never belonged to a club. Here's what it is, Dave. When I'm like working, I think I need to golf. I need to go out and like relax and play golf and have fun with some friends. And then I'm on the golf course. And I'm thinking I should be working. 
I should be working. <laughs> it's always the other place is always the better place to be. Yeah, yeah. No, no matter what it is that you're doing. So, but you know, I I also like to write a lot, and and I've done stand up all my life. I've been doing it now for like thirty seven years. Wow. You know? I mean, Where did you start? I started in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. dangerous. It was at the yeah. Improv on Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. I was the open mic night guy, and then I got a job as a bartender there for two years. I really threw myself into the, uh-huh. the center of stand-up comedy. So did you get a, to go on stage I at did. that time? If a comic didn't show up, Bud Freeman would put me on stage eventually because he knew I wanted to do stand-up. Uh-huh. And I wasn't a good bartender either. I did never <laughs> bartended before, but the bartender at the time liked me and took me under his wing and, and gave me a job on the slow night, Sunday, Monday. And Les Moonves was working in the back showroom bar. He oh, was yes. a service bartender. Yeah, he was a bartender. Yeah, yeah so I, I knew him from way back then. So whenever we see each other now, we kind of chuckle and go, wow, this is quite a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So what was the first piece of material you did? I would do jokes. Well, when I grew up, I would always memorize the jokes in the back of the Parade magazine because they had a section called My Favorite Jokes by yes. guys like Stanley Myron Handelman. <laughs> yes. You know, all those guys. And I would tell these at neighborhood parties, just standing around with friends, like, like it happened to me. You know? Yeah. I'd say, hey, did you guys hear about the guy that uh, stole a... Uh, a fire truck downtown and they would go they believe me they thought are you serious I said, yeah he was arrested two hours later by some guy who stole a cop car <laughs> yeah. like, oh i got us you know <laughs> and somebody said you should go into new york city i lived in connecticut it was about an hour and 15 minutes away but i was very uh, intimidated by new york mm-hmm. because it was new york city i yes. lived in connecticut so i went to the catch a rising star to kind of get a feel for it and i was probably 20 one at the time and it scared the death out of me because it was so small the room you know what it was like yes. it was packed and people are smoking in there and they're all new yorkers yes. and the comics the stage was right on top of people and yes. uh and um richard belzer's the mc you know he's all in yeah. black and yeah. babe hey babe you know what you been you know babe yeah and then barry diamond goes up there and all these other comics ellis levinson thought that's this i mean this is scary Yes, these guys yeah. all know what they're doing and they yeah. know the New York crowd I'm going to go to California the people are more laid back out there there's more prop <laughs> comics out there you know, yes. they're more forgiving yes. so that's what I did it's very hard to judge an audience so oh, yeah. th- sometimes they're loving you but just not laughing they're not in the motive, rhythm yeah. that you expect them to I get it yeah I made the sort of uh, summer circuit of outdoor arenas and I opened for I opened for Dionne Warwick I worked with Paul Anka. And wow. Oh my, yeah. Crazy. Paul Anka had an entourage when he didn't have an entourage. So <laughs> he would walk through the Buffalo Hotel that we were in, and there'd be a guy going, out of his way, out of his way. <laughs> <laughs> there was no one there. He was the, he had the out of the way guy. Yeah. Okay, he, so we got the we got the uh, advanced guy. Okay, we got the out of the way guy. <laughs> yeah, okay, right, all right. We got right. luggage handlers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We were both in a hotel at the uh, executive inn it was and he said David you know I've got a suite and you know, I had a suite too basically just a couple little rooms yeah. there are oh, no suites in yeah, the yeah, yeah. he said well you know why don't well, you know uh, Jose is with me and he'll make some breakfast I said okay so I went into the one room and we were going to have breakfast the next morning and uh, Jose's in the other room and he goes to this walkie talkie he's got he says Jose uh, David's here David what kind of eggs are you? I was scrambled he wants scrambled eggs and I hear Jose not talking on a walking dog and saying, okay, I got the scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Paul went back to the walking dog and said, Paul, you don't need the walking dog. <laughs> we could hear him. I think he just burped actually. <laughs> but you know, when you open up for a lot of these performers, yeah. did you ever meet them or talk to them much? Because I did that a few times. I never like Tom Jones. Well, at the time that I was doing that, like Paul Anka was a friend of mine. It was great to have him yeah. there and fun. 
good sense of humor. And Dionne Warwick, too. We, we, yeah, you, you can't, you're friends, you're together, you're in the isolated because we were doing fairs, summer fairs. Oh, yeah, that's tough. So there's nothing around at that time. So you get to hang out with each other. And But you got into directing after doing a lot yeah. of stand-up. And, yeah. And, um, and then you also, um, I'm, you know, first time I remember you was from hosting The Tonight Show, you know, guest hosting yeah. with Johnny. Yeah. And so I, you got to know him really good. And yeah. You know, I, I, I knew Johnny. We were good friends. He was always witty, very, very yeah. charming. And he was, if he was a friend of yours, he was very supportive. You know, he, if a comedian wasn't doing well and it was someone that he liked personally, he would give him the show and have him come on, even though yeah. the audience was wondering, gee, where is this person being and all that? He loved comedy, loved comedians. Yeah. That was an enigma to him. And when he did his one-man show in Vegas, it was good. He was really, you know, he was talented and was funny. He was like, all these guys like magic and like to do sort of, you know, Definitely, hidden yeah. stuff. I revered him so much. Yeah. When I first came out, to, you know, because I grew up watching comics. I would highlight yeah. the comics that were going to be on all the talk shows. Don yeah. Johnny was the king and watch them. And when I came out to Los Angeles, I heard that you can get tickets to go see his show. And they're free. <laughs> so I would go out to Burbank alone. <laughs> It was hard to get tickets because you get to really early from the guest relations thing in the back, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that if I go in the line, the last minute, go up the line saying, does, and being very, you know, uh, sympathetic, kind of, does anybody have an extra ticket? For, does anybody have an, like, an extra ticket? <laughs> Somebody always had an extra ticket. Wow. Somebody couldn't come at the last minute. So I would see so many shows and I would study. I yeah. saw, I knew exactly when Fred DeCorvita would come out and I knew exactly the joke he was going to say for the, yeah. the warm up. And then Ed would come out and do something. And then, then Tommy Newsome or Doc Severance yeah. in the band. I knew every band member. You know, I knew that. And so then when I finally got on the show, I'm standing behind the curtain. I thought, here I am. I'm, I'm doing the show. I've watched Paul McCartney on. I was like seeing Vegas shows like a couple times a week. Uh -huh. it was, and I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want anybody else coming out to get tickets. You yes, know? yeah. <laughs> so doing the Tonight Show is like a major thing for you, right? Oh, my right God. It's like it's, uh, more so than yeah. doing Saturday Night Live sure. or Weeds or, or yeah. anything else. Yeah. Because I aspired to be a stand-up. That's all I wanted to be. Yeah. And that was passing your bar exam, getting on the Tonight yeah. Show with him. I started with him in New York. And I was on all. I was always his go-to guy when someone would drop out. And yeah. it was always a surprise to me that someone. What if you're in entertainment? What do you have to do that's more important than the Tonight Show mm -hmm. if you're booked for it? But but he liked me and he liked Newhart to yeah. fill in. And I always thought that was so flattering. And I said to Bob, I said Bob, it's so flattering that he keeps on. He said, Yeah, he loves it when we bomb. <laughs> I said, well, how do you know that? He said, oh, ask him. He told me. Wow. He said he loved it. Because I always knew. Comics do love that. When yeah, comics, yeah, he they, loved they it. They find it so funny. Yeah. If I would say I've got a lot of stuff on Nixon and a little stuff on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So he'd say, hey, tell me about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Do you know him? He'd always go to what I didn't know. It was just, uh, I don't think there'll ever be another talk show host like him. And, and I, I, I don't know how many times I did the show. I mean, some people like Tom Dreesen know the exact number he's done. You know, yeah. I know I did it in August 1984 the first time. That's all I know. Yeah. And when I started with him in New York, it was he was in his second year in, uh, uh, doing The Tonight Show. And after I did my first show, which went very well, re really liked it, I would walk down the street unaware of the fact that I people had seen me on The Tonight Show because it never mattered before. Right. And I would say in Manhattan, every fourth or f seventh person that I passed looked at me or said something about The Tonight Show or we saw you on The Tonight Show. And 
I couldn't get over what the power of the show was. So imagine what his life was. Oh, yeah. And then when we got to L.A., then his life sort of settled down. And Yeah, he, he, he led more of that Malibu life, you know, driving to the show four times a week <laughs> yeah. or whatever, and then driving back and playing tennis, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's he why got, I pictured yeah, him playing big, tennis. Big tennis player. You know, when, I, when I'm doing my one-man show, I tell the story of... Uh, Johnny moved into a house in Malibu and uh, he was very excited because it had a tennis court across the street. It was all, and it was private for him. Yeah. He, at this point, he'd been in, uh, in L.A. for a long time. And uh, he wanted uh, Newhart and I to see the house. It was a brand new house. He had fixed it up. So he had big palm trees in the house. That's how big yeah. the house. It was unbelievable. So he said to him, so what do you guys think? And Newhart said, where's the gift shop? <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a Hyatt to us. <laughs> but I have so much admiration for those comics from that generation like Don Rickles. I was the new comic for a long time. Yes. You know, I was the younger comic. And now I'm kind of like at that age that those guys were when I got into comedy. Yeah. And I'm seeing like younger comics now trying to understand, you know, where it's going and all that and thinking, yeah. is that really a joke? Why do people laugh at that? Yeah. But can you mentioned Don Rickles. He's like two generations of comedy yes. m- comics removed yes. from that. Yeah. I remember him being here and talking about different comics. He goes, what, what, why is that funny? You know, yeah. Things like that kind <laughs> yeah. of you know, yeah. paraphrasing, but, um, and I get it too. You know, it's yeah. just, it's comedy is always kind of changing. It's evolving just yeah. like everything else yeah. is. It's as close to sort of jazz, kind of obscure music that there is in some way. And but. there's so many kind of forms now. Yeah. There's the ranting, there's yeah. the cringe comedy, yes, you know, right. there's shock comedy. Yeah. Before it was the setup, the punchline, boom. But it was an original and a totally unique occupation to have. Unique. It yeah. was so unique. When you went into a comedy club, usually it was the first time you went to one. Yes. Now people, you now, know, it's it, not a big deal anymore. It, it's an institution. When I was, I was single for a long time when I was doing The Tonight Show, so when I would dating these women that I would go out with and they would bring me home to their mothers and they'd say he's a comedian. They weren't, mothers weren't happy about that. No, no. Now it's better than being a doctor or a lawyer. They, oh, a comedian. I know. Yeah. And you know, like you said, everybody's doing it. My godson called me, uh, emailed me the other day. He said he's moving back to Denver with his wife and he says, I'm a little embarrassed to say this and I've been kind of a closet for a long time, but I, I think I want to get become a comedian. I've been watching you all you know my life and Wow, that's interesting. It is an available job now. It's like yes. a career thing. When yes. people come to your high school, this yes. is another career opportunity. Yes. But when you started and even when I started, it was a very unique yeah. Uh, occupation. Yeah. And the women there they were they were a minority. Yeah. But the ones that managed to break through were spectacular. Right. You know the Moms Mabley, Phyllis Diller. You had to have a gimmick for them. Now the women are equal to men all over the place. Yeah, damn it. Nothing I'm happy about. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I, uh, I've, I've loved you, as you know. Uh, every time I see you, I always want to be sitting at your table, wherever, wherever it <laughs> My is. My table is the good one. <laughs> it always is the good table. Yeah.